to another really exciting edition of Jams Radio. This one is a special edition for Rainbow Israel Week. And we are very lucky to be joined by Nadav Schwartz. He's going to help me with how exactly to pronounce his name and in which accent to do so. Um, who is very unique in that he is religious, observant Jew, um, who is also gay and has managed to support and protest and action for many of the population in the same or similar situation that he is, and he's joining us today. Our interviewers are Charlie Marks, Quincy Barrett, and Benjamin Smith. And Charlie would like to kick off with the first question. So I was gonna ask you a story, Nadav, but we're gonna hold fire there because Charlie already has a question. Um, so I was wondering how important Tel Aviv is um, in terms of spreading the uh, message of the LGBTQ community in Israel um, and I know, for example, people call it like the gay capital of the world and stuff. So how important really is it for members of your community? That is a very, very interesting question because it deals with something that I think is very, very uh, fundamental in the uh, LGBT rights movement. Um, and the question is, do you immerse yourself in the, lo in the local community in order to create like a more diverse community or you separate yourself into your own community in order to have a strong sense of community uh, of your own community and that's why tel aviv is a very interesting case is it good that uh the lgbt community of israel puts itself in one location and becomes a very eco-friendly system but what with the rest of the country? Do people feel that it is okay to be gay in the, the suburbs or like the, the peripheral uh, Israel? And it's a very, very, very uh, deep discussion. And that is, by the way, why, one of the reasons I don't live in Tel Aviv, because I believe that there should be a mixture. So in, in Jerusalem, I'm involved with different communities. It's not just the LGBT community, but the religious LGBT community here is very strong and very friendly and very open. So here I have this mixture of those two, uh, balancing those two ideas. In Tel Aviv, there's a shul that is called Yahad, which is a very, very a, a gay-friendly shul, orthodox shul. Um, members of the community uh, are half of the members are gay, are LGBT, and half of the members are uh, not necessarily. And and it's an interesting question: is that the right model or not? So that's one side. The second side is I personally got more negative comments in Tel Aviv, homophobic comments in Tel Aviv, than in Jerusalem. So is it such a safe haven? Is it such a great place? I don't know. But for sure, the, the municipality does there a lot. And that is something that should be embraced by other cities. Interestingly, when you said that, do you think that there should ever be a need for a demographic, given that we're in 2020? I mean, it's fascinating for me to hear that you feel there's a religious community that can practice 
their sexuality along with their religion synonymously. Is that true? A, does that really happen? Do you get any backlash? Is it the utopia we've never seen? Is it true? Is it real? In, in a way, yes. When you said in the beginning that I'm unique for being a gay, openly gay and a religious orthodox, um, I don't feel that unique in that sense. I may be more open about my gayness or I'm more of an activist than others or maybe more religious, like it's a spectrum of everything, but there's an amazing community here uh, in Jerusalem, but in other cities as, as well. Uh, you can see a bit my living room, not, not on the radio, obviously, but uh, you can see here a few years ago, seven years ago, I moved into this apartment and I asked my friends, where are you going for Simchat Torah? The holidays where we have hakafot, where we dance with the Torah, celebrating the end of the reciting of the, of the, of the weekly pa uh, portions. And they all said, we don't go because we don't have a place in our shul for us. Uh, we don't feel accepted, like not accepted, but it's just not something that we as gay individuals feel comfortable. So I said, okay, so let's do here. So since then, seven years, I have kafot in my house. We bring a sefer Torah, there's a laning, and there's everything here in the, in the house, which is interesting, the opposite of what I said before, right? Not immersing yourself in a, in a, a hetero, like a, heterogenic community just like having our own place and sometimes throughout the year that's what you need so is there is there um is there the right way there isn't a right way there's whatever people need some people need their own community some people need to be part of a community um there's no one uh, one thing i'll tell you just one thing about that uh, one year uh transgender a guy came for to daven with us we have only men come and he's part of the community and he came and I gave him an aliyah. And in my mind, I was like, oh my God, is what, 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 I just gave an aliyah to a trans man person. I realized what came to my mind first thing was when I thought, what would other people would say? And then I realized like, like what my parents went through when I came out. I realized what parents in general come, like they all immediately think of what would people say. And when I realized that, I just let go and it was just an amazing experience of having everybody welcome. You mentioned that you, your parents struggled at the beginning. And I was just wondering, A, do they still struggle? And do your siblings still struggle if that's not too personal a question? And B, around Jerusalem, you spoke about the minyan being in your house and celebrating some Chat Torah in your house. Is there room for you to join a shul that's mainstream? And with, will you be allowed to have an Aliyah la Torah and, and all of that? Or would that be opposed? So the answer is yes. I'm totally like, I go to shuls here. Um, I get Aliyot. I don't like Aliyot, but I get if I want. I actually, that's a bit, I, I stopped going to a minion a few years ago. I miss it a lot. And when I get to Daven in a, in a minion, it, it fills me up. But a few years ago, a rabbi who said he's pro-gay, but he's not really, he like, just knows to play the game, said that the community should throw out 
people that uh, are looking for a same-sex relationship. And when I heard that, I was so hurt that in a very childish way, I said like, so I'm, I, I, I don't, I'm not going to Dublin in a minute anymore. And in, in, in my childish way, I was like, so he will get the sins for it. He will go to hell for that. Um, but that's, that's where, I wa- where I am. I still, it's hard for me to understand how somebody can say something like that. Um, about my family, uh, I have amazing, amazing family. Uh, each one of them is its own unique story. My brother is so excited that I'm gay. Like his first reaction was like, finally I know somebody who's gay. He, he, like, he takes his kids to pride and like, it's very well-spoken in the house. They're very proud of me. They talk about it. He said, my third sentence when I know somebody is my brother's gay. Like that's like how excited he is. Um, my sister, who is more observant, I'd say, they have difficulties about it in the house. So when we talk about the, about the, the kids met a partner of mine, uh, obviously he wasn't my partner, he was my friend, but the kids realized that they meet him a lot. Uh, and she was asked by her friends, aren't you afraid that Nadav will meet your kids? Um, which is an interesting question. I have friends that are now allowed to meet their nieces and nephews because they might turn them gay. So that is, that is something that happens. So they, she was asked, are you not afraid? She said, my kids might be gay. I don't know. I want them to be able to talk to me about everything. And if I'll hide something like that from them, they'll feel that there are things that we don't talk about. And I don't want that. And that was like very, very moving and very like deep thought. And my, my parents in the beginning had a hard time. Uh, they're in a very different place today. They're very proud of me uh, being an activist and like they, they, they talk about it. Um, my ma- it's easier for my mother, I feel. Uh, she did come to my lectures uh, and I, feel, I think they, she had enough. She like, I heard him enough. Uh, I'm tired of that. And no, but she's awesome. She came to me with pr- a few years to Pride. We marched together. And she, she, she was at a panel and she was like, somebody asked her, so what are the difficulties of having a gay son? And she he was like, I, I, I don't understand your question. There are no difficulties. Like I have a son that's attracted to women. I have a son that's attracted to men. What's the difference? Yeah, my, my father, it's a bit harder for him but he's very, very supportive and he loves the fact that I do something about things. Uh, and actually as an honor of my parents, a few years ago, I did an event for parents and kids and we got 70 kids, 70 participants. Half of them were parents, half of them were kids. And I love the event and they love the event. Everybody loved the event. And then I said, Oh my God, where are the rest? My father even asked me, we're 70 people here. We're, there's thousands of LGBTs in the religious community. Where are the rest of the parents? Taking that a step further, I organized writing a booklet for kids coming out for their parents so they can give to their parents uh, the booklet. Uh, we called it Drop and Run. And the, that was very, very unique. Like, how do we get to parents who are not going to be in the room with us? Um, hi, my question is twofold. 
Um, first of all, what do you think makes the LGBTQ conversation different in Israel to anywhere else in the world? And second of all, what do you think the conversation with Judaism um, and that community, why is that different to, let's say, other religions or even to conservative atheist parents? Well, in Israel, everything is so triggering. Everything. It doesn't matter. Everything is so political. And, and it's, it's, if it's not this topic, it would be a different topic. I think that's a trend now. Like, LGBT issues is the trend of, of, of like just triggering everybody uh, up to a point that we had a parliament party running on the ticket of we hate LGBTs. Like that was their uh, actual uh, pamphlet, LGBTs are wrong. Um, they didn't run in the end, they, like, they stopped before because they realized they won't be elected. Yeah, everything is just triggering. Why LGBT issues specifically? Some people would say that, um, that it's the religious issues, and, and you hinted it in the, in the second part of your question, but I don't think it's the religious issues. There are religious questions uh, that are fair, but it's not a religious issue. Like, for example, when you say you're changing the family uh, structure, there is no Jewish family structure. We have the structure that we have today is maybe 200, 300 years old, and it's not a Jewish life structure. That's what was in the world, so we copied it. If we're going back, we just copied what there was around every place we were in. Uh, if we're going way back, Abraham had at least two wives. One of them he, he threw to the desert. I don't think that's what you'd call a Jewish family, but is the like our for, for, the first forefather. I, somebody asked me once about this, and I said to him, you know, do you have a kiddush in your shul? And, and he said, yes. I said, do they serve bread in the shul? He said, yes. I said, does the rabbi know that this is happening? He said, yes. So I, I spit on the ground and I said, I'm not going into this shul. And he's like, was shocked. He's like, how can you say something like that? I said, do you know that there are people who don't say in the Kiddush that is happening in the shul and the rabbi knows that it's happening? And this is an Isur de Oraita that's happening in the shul? And he was shocked. And nobody cares about that. And, and that's to show that the issue is not the halachic issue. There are halachic issues, but that's what bothers the society. I'll, I'll take it a step further. All the trans issues are solved halachically. There are tons of answers for, and, and, and references in the Talmud about trans issues. And all of them are solved. I have I have a I have a LGBT library here behind me. I have the biggest Hebrew uh, LGBT collection in Israel. So one of them is an halacha book uh, with an askama of one of the greatest rabbis, Rav Ovadia Yosef, and he's talking about LGBT uh, trans issues. So trans issues are solved, not like gay issues, and but what's harder for the society to accept? Trans, trans people. So it's not about halacha. Again, there are halacha questions, but it is what society uh, 
likes to accept and not doesn't like so, to accept. Sorry, would you then say that if it's not about halacha, then the the conversation that goes on within Israel or that goes on within a religious community in Israel is really then no different to the conversation that let's say an Orthodox Christian or an Orthodox Muslim would have. Is it the same problem, or do you think that there's something, a spin on it that makes it different when it's a Jewish question? I don't know enough about other religions, um, but I know that what's very interesting about Judaism, that it can be very dynamic. Like if we had 10 years ago, it was completely usher for women to learn Torah, today you have uh, yeshivot especially for women and you have women leaders and you have women that are the equivalent of rabbi because again socially people are afraid to call it rav for female um, but but things change even in the orthodox community I don't know how dynamic uh, Islam is I don't know how dynamic is Christianity but and, and I think Christianity and Judaism are very different. I think we're a bit closer to Islam in a way. Um, so I, I don't know. I just know that here everything is, is triggering. And, and I'll end with this. When they ask me about is it getting better in the Orthodox community, uh, getting better or worse, I say that it's getting more extreme. Uh, because if we had, again, 10 years ago, if you'd ask a rabbi, or an amazing teacher like Hani asking her, do you think that it's okay that a gay couple would bring their son to a bar mitzvah in the shul? She would be like, or a rabbi would be like, what, 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 what why would there be a gay couple, religious gay couple, and why, how would they have a kid, and why would they want to bring him to a shul? Like, he won't be able to accept that. He won't be able to, like, grasp the depth of this question. And this is happening today. And so today people have to have an answer for that question or forget questions about LGB. And, and it's becoming more extreme because if you have a rabbi that's saying, I'm against it, so other rabbis say, why are you against it? It doesn't make sense, you should be pro. And then you have rabbis who are saying they're pro, so there are rabbis who call them, who call us a perverts on stage. And because of that, people went, came to pride in Jerusalem because they said rabbis can't speak like that. And when they saw that religious families are coming to pride to support the LGBT community, so we, they suddenly have a, part, uh, again, government party going against it. So this is just becoming more and more extreme uh, instead of like getting better or worse. For everyone individually, Judaism sort of means something different in lots of ways. Do you ever find it difficult that for you, your Judaism sort of has to be defined by your sexuality? And it can't be defined by how knowledgeable you are or how observant you are. And it's so focused on this aspect of your life. Wow, you guys asked really good questions. Why I like that question so much? Because I have a friend. She doesn't keep halacha that much. And nobody would call her not religious. Nobody would say you don't have a place in her shul. Even though I don't know... I'm not going to what she does or what doesn't do, but like nobody would think to say, oh, you're not welcome here. And I can be more observant than her. And people would say that I'm not religious because I have this 
attraction to men. Not because I, I act or don't act on it, just because I have attraction to men. Uh, or women have attracted, uh, attraction to women or bisexual, etc. And, and that is very, very frustrating. When, when I, I worked at the yeshiva and after I worked at the yeshiva, I decided to come out and uh, I was looking for an apartment. And, uh, and uh, I came to an apartment that the guys were really chill and really cool. And this was like really what I was looking for. And, and one of the things they said is it's okay for girls to sleep here at night. So I was like, okay, so sounds halachically logical that I can come out. So I came out and I said to them, by the way, I'm gay. And one of them said, oh, so you can't leave here. And I was very upset and I left the apartment and I was like, so I don't want to be religious anymore. And after five seconds, I'm like, Nadav, you're an idiot. You're not religious because of what other people think. You're religious because you believe in God. That was the only time I thought about stopping being religious. I had a very long discussion between me and God. Uh, we, we had a fight a long time ago, but it, we're chill now, we're buddies. I always say that I worked harder on our relationship. Um, today, it's not only that I don't see a contradiction between my faith and my um, homosexuality, I see it as a synergy or like enhancement. Like my, I'm religious because I'm gay and I'm gay because I'm religious and they're so inherently together that once I was, at, I spoke to a group of rabbis and one of them said, okay, in conclusion, how do you solve the problem? And I said, I think the problem is that you're calling it a problem. I don't see it as a problem. And he was shocked. And that was like, he said that was a changing moment for him in the conversation. And he just realized then something new. I want to ask the boys. Um, we all live in communities. I know the London community, which is actually where I'm from, where Benjamin lives, um, and Quincy and Charlie's communities. And how would you feel if somebody that was gay wasn't allowed an aliyah in your shul? Do you have views on it and what are they? So we'll start with Charlie. Yeah, well, me personally, I think it probably relates back to the point that you said, which I really related to. So, for example, let's say I'm in an orthodox shul, but most people in that shul don't keep shomna gear, don't keep Shabbat, all of these massive, massive things, which technically add up to more, more of a sin than in orthodox Judaism in the Torah, it says than being homosexual, but you are observant in every other, uh, every other aspect than most of the people in that shul. So it's, in my opinion, just logically incoherent to deny you being able to go to a shul or anyone who's homosexual, part of LGBTQ, to go to a shul, basically. Because there's just so many other people breaking so many more rules and following so much less halacha. It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And Benjamin? Yeah, I agree. I've, I've, I've talked to a rabbi, I think I heard the talk previously where he made the same point, is that if you're not going to call up people who are homosexual, you can't call up anyone who uses their phone on Shabbat or drives to shul, which much of the community does. And so, yeah, it's, it makes no sense to single homosexuals out as the one group of people whose sort of sinning is too much. Quincy? Um, I think that certain members of my shul 
it's a bit more old-fashioned with an older generation would have views which I think would be abhorrent. The one thing that I want to say is I think that um, I hate the fact that just like we're saying, it's all about the view. So when you have an aliyah, it's as if you go up onto a stage and it's a member of a community. And I hear how it's like, well, we can't allow that person because of their sexuality, as opposed to why can't we allow it just as a person for different characteristics other than just the fact that he's a member of a synagogue or a member of shul. I think that um, the whole thing is inherently flawed. And if, if it certainly happened, I would 100% speak out about it. Um, unfortunately, I wouldn't, uh, I don't particularly think, I certainly think in the area where I live, there are many shores and synagogues which um, need to change and it's time for change, but I don't think it would happen so quickly. <laughs> the reason that I, I asked all of you your views, I'll, I'll tell you now, is I was really struggling with understanding why some people would just stop there and also with Benjamin's question I also wondered was it because there was almost such an ownership of identity if you were homosexual did your identity personify every other area of your life and was you know you sometimes have that you think oh come on enough already just live and your cause is leading you rather than you you know following a cause because you believe in it and when it happened to me personally and a close member of my family told me I was very much like yay are you happy great I'm not really bothered I sometimes get a bit frustrated on like another social protest you know I was um, looking online in Israel and I have got the musicians I think um, initially I didn't read it um, correctly I thought it was Hana Shama or Milchama I think it's Han Shema it's differently um, because they're not able to perform now so I thought, come on, guys. I mean, to be fair, they had the best protest ever because every single speaker and microphone, because that's their trade. So we definitely have to protest with them if we ever have a cause. But I just wonder how much of the antagonism that you're facing now and the difficulty that you're facing now is historical. Like, do you think that change is going to come? So I don't want to compare it to women of the wall because I don't think it's the same. I think it's really different. But are you comfortable going to the Kotel, holding hands with a partner? I don't know if you have one, but holding hands with a partner. And I'm not going to say getting married because I don't want to jinx that, but celebrating something openly gay. Today, would you be comfortable doing that? Or would you expect to be hit by a strimal on your way down? Um, I think this question links to, to what we asked before and, and in a way what we said, which, which is, by the way, what I said as well. It's when I said, I'm more religious than they are. And we fell into this, this trap of comparing this to other sins. And, and then you have to ask the question, what is the sin that we're talking about? Why are we comparing somebody who's gay to a Michalel Shabbat. Is that a fair uh, a comparison? So that, that is something to think about because that, that is part of the language that we're talking about in a way that when we're saying, oh, also, and I'm and, and using it as an example, it's like everybody should have fair rights, uh, gays and people with disabilities. When we're saying something like that, again, we're putting 
LGBT people with people with disabilities. Um, and, and in a way, hinting that this is a disability. Um, so that, that is something that we have to learn in, the, in, in, our, uh, in our language. I once went to, te uh, I had a meeting with teachers and one of the teachers said, I'm, I'm, I'm suspecting that one of my kids uh, is gay. And I'm not sure that's the right translation, but uh, is, is suspecting is a negative term? Well, it can be if you're suspicious of something. So I'm suspicious that he's gay. Um, and and I, I said, okay, let's talk about how you use that. And and again, the language that we use has a important... Negative connotations. Right. And again, not negative because being disabled is not negative, but it's not the same. Um, and when you said, is it something that affects me so much? Um, the answer is, I think it does. Uh, me for sure, because I'm definitely over uh, gay. Like I'm, like I'm too gay. Uh, I I was once, uh, I was once arguing with a activist who, again from the party that, not to be named, um, anti-gay party, and. They said, we're not against you, we're against the phenomena. And I said, hello, I'm the phenomena. And they were like, no, 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 you're not. You're a person, you're not. The... I'm like, no, 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 I am the phenomena. And, and they couldn't, I, I said to them, I was one of the organizers of Pride in Jerusalem. And he just went white. Like he could not like continue talking to me. But besides activism, I think our sexual uh, orientation, uh, definitely our gender identity, uh, affects our life so much. Uh, it affects less hetero heterosexual people because they're the majority and they don't feel that it's uh, as much need to define themselves by their sexuality. But for me, it does, it affects so much because my friends, my heterosexual friends, don't understand what I'm talking about. They don't understand what it is to be attracted to a man and walk down the street and have to be, as you said, do you feel comfortable walking, like going to the court and holding hands? They don't understand what it feels to hold hands and look all directions, being afraid of what could happen. Um, just by one of the first things when you go on a date, it, one of the first questions is, do people know about you? Are you out? Does your family accept you? Like, and that puts the whole date in a, a very specific connotation. I have friends that their family do not accept their them or their partner. Their partner cannot come for Shabbos home. Does it affect that? It has such a huge effect on our lives, on our conversation, on who we talk to, how we talk to. Um, if I want, if 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 a heterosexual guy wants to meet a heterosexual girl or bisexual, I'm not judging. Where can he do it? Everywhere, right? When he sees a girl in the library that he thinks she's cute, he can turn to her and say, oh, "I think you're cute." And either she says no, yes, but it's acceptable. If I see a guy that's cute, I can't go to him in the library and say, "Hey, I think you're cute. Are you available?" because that's not socially accepted. 
So where do I have, the only place I can go and do that is at the gay bar in Jerusalem. And do I, as a religious person, feel comfortable going to a gay bar, to a bar? Okay, that is, that is, in Israel, it's like, I don't know, again, the UK is very different. We have them, we have them. Right. Uh, but but the, so I think the social bar scene is very different in Israel, and uh, I'm not talking about the gay, but just like the pub scene is is. It's triggering uh, in Israel. It's very triggering. Um, so the only place I can go is the gay bar, and I I don't I don't go to other bars because I don't feel comfortable as a religious person. Um, but that's the only place I can feel really myself, and so it affects so much. And one of the things I've done is I created a Jewish artifacts, LGBT Jewish artifacts. And the, the, the premise was not to take like a mezuzah and put uh, a, a pride flag on it. That's not interesting. The question was, what are the essential needs of me or of LGBT religious members? And, and I did something cute, like I did the matching head coverings for women, or like um, candles that have, like each one of them has two uh, uh, wickers, right? What's the word? Wicks. Wicks. So it's like each one lights two at the same time. Um, or like um, I asked, what is the time that a, uh, a gay kid understands that he's gay is around the age of 13, which is the age of bar mitzvah. So I made like a feeling bag that says, one of them says, everything's okay. And the second one says, we know and we love you. Um, that, um, and interesting, I did for trans people, trans men, since you know what a binder is? So I said, they're wrapping it around themselves and because they define themselves as men, so it's chayav and tzitzit. So I did a binder that has a tzitzit on it. Uh, and all these things that the goal was like, really to think about needs. And there are needs, and people don't and people don't understand how fundamental it is. Uh, not for everybody, obviously, but for some of us, yes. Um, yeah, I was just going to ask: Do you ever find yourself in a sort of moral dilemma, living in a country that doesn't accept gay marriage, uh, same-sex marriage as being legal? Is it legal in the UK? Big time. Oh. I'm coming to, I'm coming over. We had Elton John. I'll have, you know. Oh. oh, right. He was the first one to get married or something. Yes. Just, I just needed to put it out there for talking about pride. We had Elton John. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, that proves everything. Completely. Yes. I will not talk about Alan Turing and his story. Anyway, um, about your question. That is something that has a lot of levels because that is the only discrimination in Israel that is against LGBTs that is not only against LGBTs. Meaning Israel is a religious country and therefore every marriage in Israel has to be in a religious authority. So if you're Muslim, you get married in the Muslim authority. If you're Christian, you get married in realms of Christianity that is recognized by the government. And Judaism is recognized only by uh, Orthodox. Israel only recognized as uh, uh, Orthodox. So the only way the Jews can get married in Israel is through Orthodoxy. 
So for example, if a reformed couple can want to get married in a reformed ceremony, they can't. If an, a Jew and an, a non-Jew wants to get married, they cannot. If, if an atheist wants to get married, they cannot unless they do it in an orthodox uh, way. You can go to prison for three years, the couple and the person who's ordaining them for doing a non-orthodox ceremony. It was never, ha it never happened. We were not even close, but it could happen, meaning the law says that it could. So this is not about uh, LGBTs. The second level of it is my personal question as an Orthodox person, I don't have an answer for all the halacha questions that can raise from non-Orthodox marriage, okay? And I cannot therefore ask a, for marriage equality for everybody, and therefore I don't ask a marriage equality for myself. Do I think gay couples can get married? Yes, but can I ask it for other people? I cannot, and therefore I don't think that's fair that I'm asking something that I cannot ask for other people. The other level is that if I get married in the UK, for example, and I come with the marriage certificate to Israel, Israel recognizes me as married. I cannot get divorced in Israel, which is a whole different interesting story, because again, divorce in Israel is orthodox, and since I'm not married orthodox, but that's a different story. Anyway, so the only thing I cannot do in Israel is just sign the paper. How stupid is that? Again, that is about everybody. Like if, if a reformed couple get married in the UK and, and, and comes with their marriage certificate to Israel, they're recognized as married in Israel. The only thing they cannot do is sign a paper in Israel. That is idiotic. And the last level is what is the message? that you're sending by saying gay, gay people cannot get married, bisexual or same-sex couples or transgender people cannot get married. The message is that your love is not real because the government doesn't recognize it as real. And for people on their, in the beginning, before they realize that the government is just idiotic or all over the world, um, it's very hurtful. The message is, you're not worthy, you're not worthy of love. Your love is not important, your love is not good. And that is something that you change on that level. You've given me personally so much to think about. I think, I don't know if, if I dumbed it down in my head or just made it just simple, everyone should be accepted and, and it's that simple, but it's given a really positive angle. Very simply, do you think there'll be um, a happy ending to this conversation eventually? Do you think there'll be an end where um, all the problems are solved, and if so, how long do we have to wait one generation, two generations, five generations, or do you think that we'll just end up with this perpetual um, rocking back and forth that will never end? Nothing promise us a equality, nothing promise us a good ending. Um, by the way, also for Jewish people, nobody promises you that the UK in 10 years from now will not be more anti-Semitic. The world is shaking and we see it now in the, in, in, uh, the United States that progress that was achieved in the time of Obama, the presidency of Obama, is taken away by the presidency of Trump. Now I'm, I'm not going into the question, is Trump good, not good, it's not the question. But there are things that we achieved and are being reduced and are taken away. But do you think that you've been born 
into an era that is kinder to you than your father would have been in your position? For sure, we're talking about a time that people are more free to walk down the streets. Uh, there are in there are places that you can get married. There are places that ban conversion therapy. There are places that uh, it's very easy to be a transgender. For example, in Israel, the army, how weird and amazing it is, the Israeli army supports trans people more than other countries. It's unbelievable how supportive the army, not the people in the army. Okay? Did you serve in the army? I did serve in the army. Which servet? I, I was uh, in the Rabbanut. Uh, we don't talk about that. That's a different. No, like the army, if the army gives uh, transgender people uh, the, the hormones that they need, they give them time to go through surgery, um, different surgeries. Like the army is the, mo the best place to come out as trans. Again, the army, not necessarily the people in the army. I'm separating. Could that disappear? Of course. Who knows what would be in five years from now? If we don't keep pushing the envelope, again, in every issue, nothing promises us that we won't be back in five years from now. And again, I'm talking about also Judaism, I'm talking also about religion, I'm talking about LGBT issues, everything. You have to keep pushing, you have to be an activist. And an activist can be also just being proud of your Judaism, it could be being proud of your LGBTness, but you have to be, you have to do something. Um, you want a happy ending, Baruch Hashem, life is good. Uh, we have progress. Uh, we have amazing people who are doing amazing things. Do you think that five years ago we would have such a conversation? I don't think so. I don't think that we had something like this. And, and knowing that other people hear about it, people having a complicated conversation, a complex deep conversation about LGBT issues is not something that I'm taking lightly. I, I, I want to thank you for giving me this opportunity because this is something that's blowing my mind that I'm having a conversation about Judaism with, with other students in a different country with their teacher. And then it's, it's, it's so amazing in my eyes. Well, thank you, Nadav, for joining us. I'm really grateful to Josh DeBell from Massa, who actually put me in touch. And interestingly, the boy that he was referring to, but then ended up at you actually is a city of London boy who's now learning in the gush, oh. um, who was able to come out as gay um, and live, I suppose, is living, he's in Israel. Um, so you certainly sound like you are in the place where you need to be to live as you are in, in peace. And hopefully the time will come and we can welcome you, Charlie to his community, Benjamin to his and Quincy to his and certainly mine to, uh, to ours. Um, and we can celebrate together. Thank you for joining us, Nadav. I'm really grateful to you for your time. Thank, Thank you very you much so for much. having me. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you very much to everybody for listening to today's Jams radio show. Stay tuned for more shows coming your way. Jams Radio is run by young Jewish student leaders and UJIA are proud to facilitate and support this programme. We are dedicated to bringing you a range of voices and guests to inform and entertain our listeners. The views and opinions expressed by guests on this podcast are those of the guests alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of UJIA or our partners.